They're great, aren't they? They lead us to the throne of grace every day and, and to our Lord's throne room where we can worship him in song. Let's give, the, let's give them a round of applause, shall we? They, they, work, uh, they work very hard at what they do, and they're serving the Lord in song, and we appreciate that very much. Pastor Ken asked me uh, a while back to if I would fill in for him today, and I said I'd be happy to do that. He and I have been out for lunch on several occasions, and uh, we share about our family and friends and about the ministry and about just about spiritual issues. And I appreciate him very much, appreciate his teaching. I appreciate Pastor Steve and all of you that serve here in the church. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Thank you for life. My wife couldn't be here today. She has to work. This is her weekend to work, but my daughters are here, Melissa and and her two daughters, Haley and Madison and Steph and Alec and Aubrey and Steph's husband, Tony, is here, so glad that they're here this morning. You know, there's something I mentioned that Pastor Ken and I have been out for lunch on several occasions. There's something about eating together. Isn't there that that's really brings us closer to one another and an understanding of each other? Jesus ate often with his disciples. Even after the Lord was resurrected, he made them a little shore lunch and invited them to join him. You know, when you want to get to know somebody, what do you do? Let's go out for coffee. Let's go out for lunch. Uh, well, this past week, I had lunch with Pastor Ken on Tuesday. I had lunch with a pastor friend from Hibbing on Wednesday. Some friends called me from Virginia, wanted me to have lunch on Thursday. So I told Pastor Ken, I'm getting pretty good at this lunch thing. And it's beginning to show as well. So, <laughs> But it's, it's a real joy to just spend some time with people over a lunch or a dinner meal. This is not going to be a traditional Mother's Day message, but I do want to acknowledge all of you moms. And as Steve mentioned, if if you're a lady here today and you have no children, you're a spiritual mom and you have an effect on all those uh, in the church and in the area and where you work and your family. So we appreciate that very much. My mother was a great mother. She was a woman of God. I remember her hiding these little tracks, or not hiding them, but she'd put them around the house when I lived at home in strategic places so she'd make sure that I read those. And I did read some of them. But she was a woman of prayer. Uh, She didn't flaunt that. She didn't brag about it. But I just knew that she was always praying. And I did catch her on a couple occasions praying. But she was always in intercessory prayer for her family. And those prayers have followed me. I want to read just a couple of quotes to you this morning about people who had wonderful mothers and what they thought of those mothers. Elizabeth Stone writes, Making the decision to have a child is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. 
all that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother, Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) And then he writes, I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. That also was Abraham Lincoln. That's the way I feel about my mother's prayers. They have clung to me all my life. And I probably wouldn't be here, standing up here, if it weren't for the prayers of my mother. I want to talk for you a few moments about prayer. It's not going to be a lesson on prayer. It's not going to be how to pray, that sort of thing. But it's going to be more of an encouragement for us to pray. An exhortation, if you will, to pray. To call on our Heavenly Father. Because he has called us to pray. And I appreciate the ladies' ministry here that they're going to be talking about prayer and going to prayer. I've heard a lot about prayer lately in this church, and that's, that's wonderful. Looking back over time, we see what an awesome God we have. We see that in creation. God spoke and things came into existence. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the fish of the sea and the animals. The sun and the moon and the stars are the works of his hands. And he said it's very good. But when he created you and me, mankind, he said it is very good because he created us in his own image. But man failed. And God destroyed the earth with a flood and rescued Noah and his family. We see how God moved in the life of Moses. That his life was spared and he was raised in Pharaoh's household and led the, would later lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and be a mighty leader. We learned about Abraham and how God established the nation of Israel through the loins of Abraham. All of these great and mighty warriors, David, King David, the mighty warrior of God, the man after God's own heart. We could go on and on and on about the kings and about the prophets. The prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah hundreds of years before he was born, right down to the very detail of what what he was wearing when he was crucified and how the Soldiers parted his garments. And the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The wonderful acts of God. How God became man and dwelt among us. Then as we look back over church history. How God has moved in our world, in our history. I've been studying a little bit some of the revivals that took place over the centuries, beginning in the 17th century up until 
about the 1970s. Amazing. And I want to say this, that as I looked at this and studied this, many of these revivals were started by young people, college people. So I'm rooting for you young guys. And I know that this church has a lot of wonderful young people. I'm amazed as I come here every Sunday and see the amount of young couples and families that go to this church. God is going to use you mightily in this area. And we need to open ourselves up to him. One revival started in a haystack. God's got a sense of humor. Three young college students were got caught in a rainstorm. They came to a haystack. They, they got underneath this haystack to protect themselves from the rain. And when they were in there, they decided to have a little prayer meeting. So they started praying, and they said, God, we'll go anywhere. We'll do anything that you want us to do. And from that little prayer meeting started the missionary movement And thousands upon hundreds of thousands, who knows how many people were saved as a result of that little prayer meeting. How about the 1970s? I'm from that generation. I'm I'm the baby boomer. (laughs) In California, not only California, but specifically in California, there were a lot of so-called hippies. There were a lot of drugs around. Free love was the, the way to go for these people. But you know, there was one couple that decided they were going to start a little coffee house. So they started this little coffee house, and they started sharing with these hippies. And some of them started to get saved. And so other people started little coffee shops. And before long, hundreds and thousands of these Jesus people came to know Christ. Billy Graham actually wrote a book called Jesus People. He was, right, he was a grand marshal, I think, as in the Parade of Roses. And as he went through town... The hippies were running alongside the Jesus people, pointing one way, one way. And uh, it impressed him so much. Chuck Smith was a pastor at Costa Mesa, California. He took these hippies in and he discipled them and ministered to them. And he, re- he saw that spark of life in them. My wife and I have a real good friend that lives right here in this area who was discipled by Chuck Smith. She's still serving the Lord today. And many people are pastors and serving in churches and ministering today because God raised up people who prayed and who felt the need to minister to people. So we can look back and we can see everything that God has done in the past. And then we can look forward. I was thinking about this, and I don't know what your take on eschatology is. It doesn't really matter. We don't know for sure. I'm looking for the rapture of the church when Jesus catches his church up 
I'm looking forward to the millennial reign of Christ. And Christ puts down his enemies. And I'm looking for the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that's coming down of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We have great things to look forward to, and our God is so powerful and so awesome. But here we are, <laughs> Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And we're not here by chance. You're not here by chance. You're not in this church by chance. We're here because God designed us to be here at 2018 because he wants to do something mighty and powerful through us and through his church. I long for that, don't you? I just long to see God do it again. I don't care if it's in a haystack a coffee shop, wherever it is. And God will do it because he has created us to be involved in the work that he's doing. And he has called us to pray and he acts in response to our prayers. Revival starts because we pray and we call on God. The psalmist writes, God, revive us again that we might rejoice in you. This, is, this morning, this is an encouragement to pray. This is not a guilt trip for you or for me. Which one of us prays enough? <laughs> We'd probably have to say that we don't pray enough. We are in a battle. We have an enemy. Satan, our arch enemy. I'd like to read the text for you. Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church, if you have your Bibles with. Ephesians chapter 6. He's writing about the church and how they... how we relate to the church and how we relate to one another. At the end of the book he writes in chapter 6 verses 10 and following finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. 
Our fleshly weapons won't do. We are in a battle with a formidable enemy. We cannot fight him in our own flesh. We don't have time to develop this idea and this this uh, that Paul puts forth to the Ephesian church about the armor of God. But I want to zero in on prayer because at the end he says praying in the spirit. We are to pray in the spirit. If you back up to chapter 5 verse 17 he said do not be drunk with wine where is dissipation but be filled with the spirit. Are we afraid of the Holy Spirit in our church today? <laughs> I think sometimes we, we are. We get a little bit, ah, here we go, talking about the Holy Spirit again. We believe in a triune God. I know you do. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send the Spirit to you to be with you and to give you power for service and to comfort you I want him to have control of my life, don't you? Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send the Spirit, and you'll do greater things even than I have done. I don't believe that's greater in magnitude, for who could do greater works and raise someone from the dead? I believe it means greater in scope. There are Christians all around the world in many parts of the world all who have the Holy Spirit, all whom God is using. And they're reaching people around the world. He said, go into the world and preach the gospel, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is with each and every one who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. But being filled with the Spirit is a little bit, it's a little bit different than just having the Holy Spirit. We know we're born of the Spirit, We need to be filled with the Spirit. We don't get more of the Holy Spirit. He gets more of us. He gets control of us. He's here to glorify Christ in our bodies. There is a connection between prayer and being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you and I sincerely pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. What happens? We pray more. (laughs) And as we pray more and we walk in the Spirit and we live in the Spirit, there's that connection to the Holy Spirit and prayer. Paul addresses many areas of life in this book in Ephesians. He addresses the personal life, the family life, the church life, employers and employees, pastors, and lost people. In our personal lives, who of us would not like to see God really work in our lives and use us more for his glory? I would. I need him more every day. How about our families? Our families are falling apart in some areas, and we people are having problems and issues, and the enemy is behind that because... The family unit is a picture of Christ and his church. Jesus said, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. 
Do we love our wives like Christ loved the church? Do I? Would I sacrifice for her and do anything for her to protect her? Wives, do you respect your husbands and pray for your husbands? Church, we're here to work together and serve together. Do we pray for one another? We all have different gifts and talents. Are we supporting one another? You know, the eye cannot say to the ear, I'm not an ear. We're all different. We need each other. The body of Christ, are we praying for one another? Employers, there's a word for employers. Treat your employees fairly. Give them a fair wage so they can make a living and support their family. Treat them as your heavenly father would treat them. Employees, show up for work on time. Give your boss a good day's work for a day's wages without grumbling and murmuring and talking behind his back or her back. See, those are practical areas. We kind of like to compartmentalize our lives. This is church. This is my church life. This is my work life. Jesus never did that. Jesus washed people's feet. Whatever we do, it says, do all to the glory of God. So whether you're working, you're out on the golf course, you're out fishing, you're out with someone for lunch, this is kind of a little side eddie, but <laughs> I, read, I read some statistics on um, restaurants and waitresses. You know the day that they hate the worst? Sunday. Christians tend to cheat, to tip less, complain more. That's, that's a shame. We need to think about that next time we go out for lunch. <laughs> God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. Pastors, do we pray for Pastor Ken when he delivers the message? Pastor Steve, the elders, the leaders? the CE director, all of you people that work with, with people here and whatever you do in this church, we need to be praying for one another. Paul said, pray for me that the word of God would go forth with boldness and clarity that he would make the mystery of the gospel known. We need to pray for our pastor that lost people would be saved. These are life issues that require spiritual warfare and weapons in the spirit. I'm the chaplain over at Fairview at Hibbing, and I minister to people and visit people who are dying all the time. And I have come to realize over the years, as I'm getting older, used to have hair, that people's spirit is resistant to the Holy Spirit of God. I was visiting an elderly lady just the other day. She was lying in bed, very ill, 
just chit-chatting with her, ask her where she had gone to church, if she had gone. And I felt just compelled to talk to her about Jesus and ask her if she knew Jesus as her Savior. She said no. She didn't think so. I said, well, would you like to receive Christ and know him and know where you're going? No, I don't think so. Not now. And I thought, if not now, when? (laughs) That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit because you and I cannot reach down into the deep recesses of somebody's heart and speak to them, but the Holy Spirit can. I can't. None of us can. That's why we need to be prayed up. We need to we need to intercede with supplication for people that God would open their eyes because the God of this world has blinded their eyes that they might not see and come to the knowledge of the truth. I also officiate a lot of funerals, <laughs> lots of them, for hospice clients, patients, as well as people in the community. Funerals are different. They can be very emotional or they can be not so much. But I recall one back about a month ago. The man was fairly young and got killed in an accident. I'd met with the family. I didn't know anybody in the family or anything. But I I got there early and mingled and and, uh, talked with them. And it was about the most dry-eyed funeral I've ever been to. I, I don't recall one tear being shed, and I don't know why. So I preached the funeral message, and a message that God has given me some time ago. The three big questions in life. Where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where am I going? And when I finished the message, the funeral director came forward. I stood up and led the people out, spent some time visiting with them after the funeral, went back up to the front of the facility to the lectern to get my Bible and sermon notes. And I looked over, and here's a young girl, young woman, 20-something, standing there, weeping, weeping. And she said, I was so moved by your message. And I thought to myself, this is not because of me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm no dynamite pastor, preacher. This is the Holy Spirit working in this young girl's heart. And I said, well, just give your life to Christ. Something to this effect, give your life to Christ. Follow him and serve him for the rest of your life. And she said, I will. And I still pray for her every day that God will get her connected to a good church and some Christians that can help her grow in her faith. But God, the Holy Spirit's at work. And I pray during those funerals and I'm sitting up in the front waiting for the funeral to start. Oh, God, speak to somebody this morning. That's what we need to do. We need to pray. You know what worries the devil? Not our, 
not our busyness, I don't think, because sometimes that can even hinder our time with the king. We're so busy with the kingdom, we don't have time to spend with the king. We need to be busy. Yes, we have ministries to do. We certainly do. But we need to pray, and we need to call on God. That's what makes the devil worried. You know, if the devil wore boots, <laughs> he'd be quaking in his boots every time you and me went to the throne of grace. Oswald Chambers says, the weakest saint that walks in the spirit, prays in the spirit, is a threat to the enemy. I wouldn't call that person the weakest saint, but I know what he was talking about. I would call them a strong saint. The Bible says, the wise man goes against the city of the wicked and pulls down the strongholds. We're to go on the offense, not always be on the defense reacting to what Satan is trying to do in our families or our church or our community. We need to be proactive. We need to go against the enemy in prayer. I saw that movie, The Prayer Room. It's powerful. Powerful War Room. It's powerful. I would recommend that for anybody. Pull down those strongholds. Another little quick story, true story. D.L. Moody. Who knows who D.L. Moody is? <laughs> Most everybody, I think. Moody Bible Institute. Other colleges that were started as a result of his ministry. Great man of God. Powerful preacher. Evangelist. Felt compelled to go to England. Just kind of on a study tour. He wanted to sit at the feet of some of the great preachers over there in England and take notes and, and learn. But that wasn't to be because he was met by a, a pastor named John Lessie who was a pastor of a congregational church there and he asked Mr. Moody to come and preach. So he was kind of reluctant to do so but he, he preached that morning and he said with didn't seem to be you know, a real great response but the evening service was different. Lots of people wanted to put their trust in Christ and wanted to know more. In those days, they had inquiry rooms. So if you had an interest in becoming a Christian, you'd go into a room after the service and meet with some pastors and lay leaders who would help you to put your trust in Christ and help you to get started on the right foot. So Moody left and uh, on his tour, and John Lessie called him back and said, would you come back to the congregational church and preach again? He said, there are, there are more inquiries. There's more interest in the gospel. And so Moody went back, and he preached for 10 days there at that congregational church. 400 people came to know Christ and Moody wondered, who is behind all of this? Who's been praying here? He asked Leslie, what's going on? John Leslie, what's going on? 
He said, follow me, I'll show you. Took him out to a small house and a bedridden young lady. He said, that's the reason you're here in England. She's the reason. From the time she heard about D.L. Moody in America, she said, I never stopped praying. I prayed that he would come here and preach to our church, the congregational church. And he said, that's the reason you're here. You may be feeling this morning, I'm too old or I'm not equipped to do the work of the ministry. This young lady changed the world through her prayers. Just a brief application. I'm speaking to you this morning in love because I know your fellow Christians and I know you want more of the power of God and the, and the presence of God in your life. I would never come to a congregation or any place and preach at anybody. I would preach to myself first because I need him first. And then share with you out of love. So just a short application. Be filled with the Spirit. All that means is turn the control of your life over to Him. Abandon yourself to Him. Just say, here I am, Lord. I give up the right to myself today. I give it to you, whatever you want in my life. I give that to you today. He wants more of us. You might be struggling with the idea of prayer and say, you know, I know I don't pray enough and I start and I can't get through, I can't, just can't do it. You know what Jesus does? He changes the want to in our lives. The want to, that's what we need. And that's what he does and it's an internal work that he does in our hearts. We do what we want to. Christ can change that want to in our hearts. And he can give us more love for him and more desire to walk with him and pray and seek him daily. Walking in the spirit, praying in the spirit, being filled with the spirit, being abandoned to God each and every day. It's an ongoing thing. Being filled with the spirit actually means keep on being filled. Every day when your foot hits, feet hit the floor, God, take control of my life today. Have your way in my life today. And then ask for open doors. I, I mentioned this to the last group. That doesn't always mean that we're going to bring somebody to Jesus and close the deal, as they say. <laughs> we're so interested in closing the deal that sometimes we forget to really do the other things. Just ask God for open doors to show the love of Christ. Maybe it's something simple, helping out a neighbor. Jesus washed people's feet, disciples' old dirty feet. All of these areas that I mentioned, you know, work and all of this, God is interested in all of that. We compartmentalize, this is church, this is work. He never looks at it that way. Whatever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Ask for open doors. And don't be shy with God. 
The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Not arrogantly, but boldly because he's our heavenly father. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said the veil of the temple was split from the top to the bottom, signifying that you and I now have access to go right into the Holy of Holies before it was the high priest once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But now you and I can go there. And we don't only go there, we should be living there. We can live right in that holy of holies. Pray without ceasing. Intercede for your family. Intercede for your husband and your wife, your kids, your grandkids. We all have issues, life issues, that are too big for us to handle, but not too big for God to handle. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we... We're on our knees all the time. You know what that means. There are times when we're, we have those times of prayer. But then throughout the day, as we're going, we meet somebody. Oh, God, open up an opportunity for me to speak to that person. Show me what you want me to do today. Just little, just these little arrow prayers. Pray to God without ceasing. And with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for who you are today, that you have chosen to involve us in your work through prayer and through ministry and whatever you've called us to do. We thank you that we are your children, the sheep of your pasture. Do a mighty work in us, Lord, in this church, in each individual, in this area God raised Raise up a desire for prayer. Put that want to into our hearts that there might be a mighty revival yet here in our area and it would sweep across our nation to the glory of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming and Lord bless and have a great Mother's Day. <laughs>